Hello and welcome to the Uncapped Podcast, proudly presented by Roast House Pub, where elevated culinary creations meet a fresh, evolving craft beer selection, making it one of Frederick's unique dining destinations. Hey everyone, I'm your host Chris Sands, and today I'm at Heavy Seas Beer uh, with Hugh Sisson. One, I can't remember, it's been so long since the last time I talked to you, if we decided you were the godfather or the grandfather of Maryland beer. <laughs> Do, do you I'm remember? Not so, I'm not so sure, but you know that always makes me feel old. So <laughs> I, I've been doing I, it a long time. I, I mean, I feel increasingly old every time I talk to anyone lately. Mm-hmm. I feel like because everyone's so much younger now. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you, you've been like heavy seas has been instrumental, and we we went in this detail the last time we went to talk, so we won't dig sure. too far into it. But in every aspect of what. Maryland beer is now and how you can operate legally. Heavy yeah. Seas has been there lobbying we, or a- advocating to for progress. We've certainly been heavily involved from the very beginning of craft beer in the market. I mean, started lobbying for the legalization of brew pubs in 1987. My family's uh, bar restaurant in Baltimore became Maryland's first brew pub in 1989. Um, Stayed involved in the legislative efforts there to, you know, get the growler bills passed, uh, upgrade the amount of volumes that where people could could sell because, you know, in the, in the beginning it was a really small number. Um, and have been pretty heavily involved in all those activities. I was one of the co-founders uh, of the Brewers Association of Maryland. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's been a long road. It's been very rewarding. Uh, I've certainly... Uh, met a lot of really wonderful people along the way um some of them even in the legislature so uh but it's been it's been a good run it is crazy to think back well i guess it's probably close to a decade now of just how different breweries had to operate oh yeah couldn't sell someone a pint over i mean the the, the taproom legislation uh, which actually was was spearheaded by Tom Knorr on the Eastern Shore. I had very little to do with that. Um, but, yeah, the, the, the taproom legislation completely changed the business model. Because yeah, really until five or so years ago, the taproom was really an afterthought here, right? Well, for yes, for us it was because it wasn't yeah. part of our overall business plan. Now the taproom is, is, is an increasingly important part of our business plan, partly for, from a revenue perspective and partly for a brand experience perspective. So, for example, our tap room here is going to get renovated between now and probably early spring uh, because we, we feel we need to make this much more of a branding and marketing platform for our overall product experience. Um, yeah, I think the first time I was ever here, the tap room was that tiny little corner yep. over yep. there that right. was just the width of the bar, basically. Well, yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's, it certainly has evolved. And it, it's, it's, like I said, it's an emerging part of our overall uh, business, pra- business plan and business strategy. Uh, but it, it was a game changer because there are so many uh, smaller uh, breweries all over the country whose business model is completely around their taproom business with a little bit of outside sales. Yes. Uh, and we're clearly the other way around. Most of our business is outside sales, and then the tap room is a marketing platform. Which was probably beneficial for you over the past two, three years. 
what? where you didn't have to you you weren't one of the breweries relying on people well I, coming I think in and I think it's certainly tap room uh, yeah um, no doubt about it but it's I mean the whole COVID experience I mean that was a real kick in the kick in the tush for for everybody in this industry yeah because you're probably pretty heavy draft like kegs keg distribution right draft business was 35% of our business when COVID hit, to give you some relevant numbers. Uh, in January of 2020, I had approximately 2,000 accounts purchasing draft beer. Uh, in April, I had six. Yeah, it's a, it's a drop off. That's a drop off. <laughs> that's, that's not the uh, graph you want to see. No. On a- now, let's not lose sight of the fact that the people who really got hurt were the people that owned those bars and restaurants. Yeah. Yeah, because they uh, could do nothing. They lost, you could. Uh, they, I mean, they lost everything. Yeah, you uh, could shift to we could selling pivot. more packaged product. And- we, we pivoted to package, um, and although that was a challenge, too, because all of a sudden cans, which had were an emerging part of our overall uh, portfolio, exploded during COVID. My bottling line runs 250 bottles a minute. My canning line runs 80 cans per minute. So... Uh, to get the same amount of volume, I've got three times the labor cost. Yeah. So it was, uh, you, you know, hey, you just get up every morning just and make you, it fi- work. you figure out how to <laughs> slay the dragon today and, and hope that you live to fight again tomorrow. So that, that was actually a, a question because I'm always interested in like <clears throat> breweries that have been around for a while that packaged obviously went with bottling first because yeah. no craft brewery was getting a canning line. Well, 15 years ago. 15 years ago, 95% plus of all craft beer was sold in 12-ounce glass bottles. Yeah, and everyone thought that it would, you couldn't get a good beer in right. a can. Right. That the, it right. tasted like aluminum. It was like the, Only the crappy beer was in cans. Well, Dale sort of began to change that yeah. paradigm. And then, uh, and then a lot of other companies. And again, as a lot of smaller uh, breweries began to get into the industry, uh, they could get these really cheap, uh, 40 can per minute canning lines uh, or the mobile canning lines. And, I mean, that just made a whole lot more sense than trying to get into bottling because bottling and doing it properly is expensive. Now, I'm not saying that these small 40 can per minute lines are actually doing a great job on the canning, but if you're really small... They can, but it's definitely a lot more work. Well, <laughs> it's not just that. It, it's, if, it, it, it's all it's a question of scale. Yeah. You know, if you're sending... You know, twenty thousand cases of product a month out in in cans or bottles, and you're going over a five or six fixed five or six state region. Um, the the quality control of your packaging operations needs to be really high. Yeah. If you're only sending a couple of hundred cases uh, out in a fifty mile radius of where your brewery is located, and you know that's going to pull off the shelf in you know two weeks, well, you can get away with. Things. Yeah, do and yeah, the, the dissolved oxygen counts, the the whole, you know, microbiological issues, all the rest of that. I mean, that's 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 critical stuff. Yeah. Whereas you need to worry about that a lot more because you're sent. What what is your distribution footprint now? Um, it hasn't changed a lot. Okay. I mean, we still sell a little bit in Massachusetts. Rhode Island is actually fairly strong. Uh, we're going to do the bulk of our business in the Mid Atlantic. You know, Maryland, D.C., Virginia, Delaware. Um, New Jersey's actually finally beginning to sort of bump up a smidge. Pennsylvania's still a challenge, but it's growing. We do an okay amount in Ohio uh, and a fair amount in Florida, and that's, you know, that's really the bulk of what we do. That's so 
Why Florida? There's so there's so many places in like the Mid Atlantic. Is it because so many people in the Mid Atlantic go and move to Florida? I think it's more well. I, I, again, with the I won't say the wisdom of time, but with the experience of time, when you know when we got started 27 years ago, uh, you know if you, you you hung your shingle and you were a new brewery, distributors all over the country wanted to carry your beer. Okay. Uh, so, so the craft beer industry was a mile wide and an inch deep. And then as other players uh, began jumping into the waters uh, and as local became more and more critical, then it became harder to be more relevant in places like, uh, like Florida. The or further North away you got. Exactly. From- so which is why the, you know, the bulk of our business is still focused on the, on the mid-Atlantic. Yeah. Uh, and that's where I think that we are, we are clearly the most relevant. Um, Rhode Island is a strong pocket. Florida is okay. Uh, Ohio is okay. Those are just pieces where we built business early on and there are some established relationships and we've been able to sort of maintain that. Um, But, you know, we're really not looking to add new markets anymore. I just don't think that's, uh, it doesn't make sense because you've got to supply, you've got to support product with so much sales and marketing efforts and I'm not sure the volume's there. Yeah, the, the there's a lot of upfront costs to expand yeah. in that area where you're, it may not pan out. So, where you so, could just focus on growing. Well, so, so for for example, you know, it's catch twenty two. You talk to a wholesaler in let's say Missouri, uh, and they'll say, "Yeah, I think we can get you to three or four thousand cases this year." When does your salesman start? Well, I got to sell forty to fifty thousand cases to make have, hiring a salesperson make any sense at all. So. Yeah. If they're saying you're going to do three or four or five thousand cases, there's no sales rep. Yeah, that's on you, the, it, distributor. Right. <laughs> and, and 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 again, you know, years and years ago, that model could work because the distributors didn't have seventy-five thousand SKUs. Well, wholesalers went through a process where they they brought in every small craft brand they could get their hands on. One because they wanted to control it, and two, they didn't want a competitor to get it. Yeah. Uh, well, now. What's happening is the distributors have shrunk the number of SKUs that they want to carry. Uh, so, and and now what I what I think is going to happen in the next three to five years is the wholesalers are going to finally realize that at eighty percent of their craft business is being done by twenty percent of their brands, and they need to weed out the brands that are really never going to be relevant to what they're doing. Yeah, and then allow those brands that they want to support. To, to grow their business space and their number of SKUs. And at the end of the day, I think that it'll end up being healthier for the business. I mean, in, in our mid-Atlantic market, we would be one of the brands that would stay. As we get further and further afield, we may be one of the brands that should, go, that should be released. Yeah. And that's, I mean, I, that's just the world. Well, it's like the further you get away from where the home base is, your story gets diluted, there's less... Loyalty to like, correct brand loyalty and correct. just you're you're not I mean, if, as if you're in the business if you're in the beer business in Maryland, everybody knows who we are. Yeah. Okay. If you're in the beer business in Atlanta, Georgia, you probably don't know who we are. So, how do you combat that? And the answer is you don't because there's 500 breweries in Georgia now. <laughs> the the yeah, the main reason I asked about the Florida thing is just seems like there's so many like 
Pennsylvania, Maryland, like DMV breweries right, that will have like a real tight footprint right. around them. And, and then, then this Florida. outlier. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> so it's just, it just always seemed weird to me. I, I hear you. I think what part of what works for us is that our brand is so focused on on the water and the shore, et cetera, that we still pick up some yeah, relevance. So any, any kind of beach any kind of, area right. is like, oh, the heavy seas definitely right. makes sense to have here. That's true. That right. makes sense. At least we hope so. Yeah. Um, let's take a real quick sponsor break and we get back. Let's talk real quick about your new stuff, uh, the crafted cocktails. Certainly. And then um, I want to go more back into just talking beer industry with you. Sure. Uh, so we'll be right back. Uncapped is brought to you by one of Frederick's original Maryland craft beer destinations, located off of Urbana Pike, featuring a warm, inviting atmosphere and knowledgeable staff serving up fresh, locally sourced culinary creations and unique craft beers on tap. Open seven days a week, our friends at Roast House Pub invite you to enjoy a casual lunch, happy hour specials, delicious dinners, and specialty desserts. Follow them on social media to keep up to date on their monthly beer dinners, mom's spaghetti dinner battles, and what beer is being featured for Buck Above Monday. Idiom Brewing Company proudly offers a delicious variety of beers to satisfy the most discerning tastes. Best known for their wide array of IPAs, delicious fruited sours, and robust porters and stouts, Idiom has a simple goal in mind, to bring people from all walks of life together, to enjoy themselves and each other. Whether you're a hophead looking for explosively juicy IPAs, are one of the adventurous few looking to try boozy, sour, or complex flavors, or just looking to enjoy classic styles and seasonal favorites, they'll have a little something for you. Idiom Brewing Company is located in downtown Frederick, just south of the intersection of East Street and East Patrick Street, with ample seating directly on Carroll Creek. Okay, so what made me realize I hadn't talked to you in forever was that we got the press release for what I guess is the largest exploding segment in mm -hmm. alcohol right now. Right. Uh, you came out with um, a mixed four-pack of crafted cocktails. And then we have uh, the Orange Crush and the Watermelon Crush are also available as standalone four-packs. So okay. this is an eight-pack. Um, oh, yeah, I get mixed yeah. eight-pack of four different. Yeah, right. I definitely said that wrong. Uh -huh. That's all right. Um, so, I mean, I guess it's probably pretty obvious why you decided to get into this segment because it is often listed as the number one growing. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I guess that's a short, sweet answer, Well, I right? mean, <laughs> it, it's, it's also, um, I mean, if you take a good look at what's happening across the industry, there's 8,000 new breweries in the last eight years. The beer business, as it stands alone, is becoming extremely challenging. Um, I mean, nationally, I think beer is down 3%, 4% this year to date. Um, beer has been losing share to the spirits for 15 years. So, Is craft also losing that? Or is absolutely. That okay. Because a lot of times when those figures are given, it'll be pointed out that it's mainly the big guys losing. No, I mean, the, the whole beer share. industry has been losing share. Okay. So, so you need to – so what you're seeing is a lot of beer companies are beginning to morph into what we call beverage companies. Um, and it's just kind of if you, if you want to continue to play in the, in the game, you're going to yeah. have to do some stuff. 
You, I mean, I mean, look, I've said you follow what the consumer wants. I've said for a thousand years. I mean, we loose cannon is still our best selling product. If I could sell forty five thousand barrels of beer of just loose cannon, I would be a very happy young man. <laughs> uh, but the world isn't like that, yeah. so you have to broaden what you're offering and be ready to look at lots of different market segments. This hopefully brings in people who don't drink our beer. Uh, to our brand family, and then maybe as they have beer occasions, we'll drink our beer. So, yeah, and that actually, just even even if it wasn't a huge growing segment, right. that like it's kind of like offering seltzers, where it's just it's good business to have. Right now, we chose something that a beer drinker doesn't. We chose not to do that because in order to do seltzers properly, and there's there are certainly people who didn't, uh, but you really need to make a super high quality clear malt base. And that requires some really amazing uh, filtration equipment that costs a lot, a lot, a lot of money. So we elected I, not to do that. But this was, um, this was something that we thought we could execute uh, at a high-quality level without having to make that scale of investment. Yeah, I, and I've been told by people in retail that like that fat is kind of gone, Seltzer too. hit its high-water mark about a year and a yeah, half ago. If you're not one of the large, cheap, yeah recognized brands like right. no one no one's going in and willing to pay a premium for a craft seltzer well, when a Trulies or a white claws right. are half the price yep. and everyone knows that name yeah exactly so it's probably a wise decision <laughs> well i mean we just didn't feel that we could do it and do it at a quality level that that we feel that we need to maintain yeah how did you uh decide on these four flavors? Um, it was just a process of, of internal discussion, looking at the market, looking at market data. Um, and also, uh, as my, my, my brewmaster and his quality team worked on things, I mean, we felt really good about what we were putting into these packages. To hit these flavors? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, like three of the four are kind of like no-brainer ones. Yeah. Like, how, how do you come out with a vodka-based drink and not have an orange crush? Well, in this market, <laughs> the, you're right. Yeah, right. The, uh, strawberry lemonade, I, you can't go wrong with that. No. Uh, cherry limeade, same thing. Yeah, I mean, so, so we're I'm happy sure the watermelon it. crush is also delicious. That's the only one I didn't look at like, yeah. as being an obvious <laughs> choice. We, we, we went down the watermelon crush path for the simple reason that it's so refreshing. Yeah, the, uh, the, that was one of the ones I've mainly heard a review of. And the review was, it doesn't taste like a watermelon Jolly Rancher, so I loved no, it. it's not sweet. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So it could actually taste like watermelon, not uh, what it, the, the Jolly The idea Rancher. was not to make these things super sweet. The idea here was to make them, you know, get them good and cold. You're sitting on a beach. You just want something that's really refreshing and crisp, and that's what we were trying to do. Now, you're not, though, um, distilling them yourself, no, right? we're not you're, distilling you purchase them. purchase the... Uh, Neutral spirit, and then well, we actually the bought the license to allow us to move into distillation if we so okay. choose at some point in time, and we may. Uh, I mean, heavy seas rum just kind of seems like a yeah, it does, obvious. Doesn't it? So um, <laughs> the uh, that so I'm not saying we'll never do it. Yeah. I'm just saying right now there's enough complexity that we're dealing with in the world that yeah. I'm, I'm not quite ready to focus on that. I'm not would, sure we got the bandwidth. I would place a bet on the economic standpoint of it too, that there's no way you'd ever make your own neutral spirit. 
Um, At least from what I understand, like how cheap you can buy a super high quality neutral spirits uh, and, is like half of what a small right, distillery right. Well, could look, like economies make of, themselves. Economies of scale yeah. are real. So, Especially, uh, like, and it's just one of those things like I don't care if I go someplace and they're not making their own right, vodka. Right. Like it doesn't have a flavor. Like I want it just to be high quality. Right. <laughs> I understand. Um, so w- when did these come out? These came out uh, like second week in August, maybe the third. And we're still doing. We're still making some initial deliveries. I I think our Washington D.C. wholesaler just took delivery last week. Um, so we're still very much in the in the rollout phase. Um, we're initially we've spec these for basically the core market: yeah. Maryland, D.C., a little bit of Virginia, Delaware. Uh, we can't sell them in Pennsylvania because of the control state thing. Yeah, that, that was going to be my next question is the the um, distribution complexities of this been a challenge at all or you just um, had to? It, it, it hasn't thus far. It depends on, you know, again, every every market is different. Yeah. Um, so, for example, ours are seven and a half percent. Uh, in Virginia, I, if it's seven and a half percent or below, then I can ha- I can put it in my normal beer distribution. Network. Okay. If I go over seven and a half percent, I've got to go through the spirits distribution network, and I I would prefer, uh, whenever possible, to always align anything that I'm doing with my existing. Yeah. Uh, network of partners. Well, one for ease. Two, they already know your brand. Well, and, and supporters three, of your brand. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I I need to as I develop new things. I, I mean, those folks got to be the first right of refusal. Yeah. Um, I mean, if for some reason they don't wish to 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 play, then I can look at some other things. But I don't need to be in a position where I'm pissing off my partners uh, because you didn't bring that to us. Well, that you know, bad idea. Yeah. Because uh, I was just thinking from a, like this, uh, a personal standpoint, uh, like in Frederick, uh, District East, sponsor of the podcast, uh-huh. like if someone goes in and wants a four-pack of, I guess it's only six packs of Loose Cannon. Or no, you do four-pack cans of Loose Cannon, right? No, it's, it's, it's all, all six. six packs. So get a six-pack of Loose Cannon, they won't be able to buy this because they don't have... A liquor license. Oh, okay. They, they're beer only. They right. can't. They can only sell beer and wine. They right. don't have a license to sell spirits. Right. So they wouldn't be able to sell this. So mm-hmm. it's just. So I guess in. So in Virginia, it's based purely on. It's alcohol on, it, percentage. What networks you can go through. So, and then, so this can be sold in the grocery stores in Virginia. Okay. And then um, Maryland, I get it's just a mess. Well, Maryland, county to county. I mean, <laughs> I mean Maryland is still uh, an independent liquor store state, as is. Uh, you know, kind of if, if you look from the Potomac River northeast, most of those are independent liquor store states. Uh, from the, from Virginia south, it's mostly chain grocery, and they're just they're just different market dynamics. So, do you think this will be um, a segment that is a similar to seltzers, where it was like a flash in the pan, super popular for a while, or do you think this is a segment that's Growing and will continue to stay popular. I have no idea. Yeah, My crystal balls in the shop. It, I feel like it, it. I think it's going to be around for a while. I think it will evolve and morph. Well, because there's more you can do with it. I think. Well, it, in a it's way. also the whole point of m- most of the seltzers was to. Um, I mean, they don't have a lot of flavor. Yeah. 
almost by definition. And I think the consumer is interested in flavor. Uh, so, so, so these RTDs, uh, ready-to-drinks, uh, I mean, they're all based on flavor profiles. So I think that they've kind of already positioned themselves a little differently. Um, I, I, I do expect the, the category to morph. I do expect that, um, you know, there's going to be a huge number of players that are going to jump in. And unlike, uh, unlike the, the, the beer segment per se, I mean, we've opened the doors now for the big spirits companies to jump in and start yeah. doing all of their own. So I don't expect it to get any easier. Um, you know, our whole purpose here was to focus on we are a, uh, a strong local brand, and we, we believe that we can be relevant with this in our core market. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, if we sell any anywhere else, that's great. But as long as it's relevant in the core market, and we, we were kind of the first one locally to get there, um, I mean, we could say that the, the Flying Dog— Yeah, it was, I was just running through my head, like, who else is doing? But, yeah, Flying, flying Dog, dog with, with Harpoon and with FX Matt— uh, and I, I guess that's sort of a local thing. I'm not yeah. sure. It's all being made in New York State. Um, so, so I, yeah, I mean, I don't know whether we're, we're the relevant one from a first to the market local. I, you know, who cares? Yeah, as long as people buy it. As long as people buy it. <laughs> but it makes sense, uh, especially here. People come in, grab right. grab their loose cannon or mm-hmm. uh, the, what else is out right now? Do- um, uh, the impending doom, doom series, yeah. And uh, grab uh, some canned cocktails and, for your and, non-beer and, drinking friend. And we've been selling a fair amount uh, in the tap room. Now, we currently can't serve them over the bar in the tap room. We're working on licensing to allow us to do that. Is uh, that complicated in Maryland? Because that, does that even exist? Does that have to be created? Or? It has to be created. Yeah, it was, <laughs> it, it's just one of, uh, you know, it's... So I was talking to... Uh, the folks at the Baltimore County Liquor Board, because uh, as soon as we got, you know, this ready to go, I contacted them and said, what do we have to do so we can – and they want to help us, but it's the classic example of you're, once again, yeah. the first guy to come to the table asking for this, yeah. so let's see if we can figure out how we can do it. And, yeah, so and, once again, you find yourself being the <laughs> the trailblazer to get – legislation enacted to do what you want to well, do. Well, I mean, I, hopefully we don't have to go to the legislature to do yeah, it. Yeah, that could it, just be like it, what, rewriting the license, like what the license applies to. I, and- I, I don't know. I do know that I need to be and have always attempted to be deeply respectful to uh, to whatever the local jurisdictions want and how they want to go about licensing things. Yeah. Um, so it, it's it's never helpful to you know to walk in the door and say well you know let's do this um, so and and for the most part um, you know I've always tried to have good strong relationships with all of the various powers that be only because first off most of them are pretty nice people yeah uh, until and, you come into the room saying this is yes exactly <laughs> as I said most of them are pretty nice people and most of them are are they're just they're working just as hard as you are let's figure out how we do this and not, you know, burn any bridges. That's, uh, so uh, we'll get there. Yeah, because there's definitely there's other counties in Maryland that a brewery can sell um, a spirit over the counter. Um, so it's definitely like there's there's not a roadblock at the state level. It doesn't well, seem. The breweries that do that are, are, are brew pups. So they're fully licensed, licensed restaurants. Oh, they may have had to. No, I think in. 
I think so in Washington example, County, could it, be. Like, it, it's, I, actually, I'm going to stop talking because I, I have no idea what the <laughs> actual, but I thought, I, 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 if I understood it correctly, in Washington County, brewery, like, there's a license where a brewery can sell also, but they're not a brew pub because they don't, some of them don't have food, I don't think. Um, I, yeah, again, I, I don't know, you know, Who I, knows? I have to it's look a I'm a complicated class, patchwork I'm, of, I'm a class <laughs> five manufacturing brewery. Yeah. So. so they're actually, they're probably at one of the other. Right. And, and license different levels. licenses have different, yeah. uh, um, capabilities. Was it, uh, difficult to in Maryland also be a distillery or is that simply just applying for the, um, I mean, for the most part, it's, it's just applying for, but then you've got to, you know, you've got to show them blueprints and how you're going to yeah. do things and how do you main, how do you protect the, the tax revenue stream? How are you going to account for it? Um, but, but again, you know, most of the, most of the administrators, they, they're, they're interested in facilitating what you're trying to do. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, and again, I, I, been in front of these people for since 1987 working on different things so, so all of the folks that are uh not all of but many of the folks who are in annapolis uh who you have to work through we know each other and and you know there's a certain amount of uh, mutual respect and you know i've always made it my business uh to be completely upfront with anybody in a, in a in the political power arena or the administrative arena. I said, this is what we're trying to do. This is how I think I want to do it. Tell me if you have any problems with that. Yeah. Because and how do we get to? Right. If it's possible, how do we get to that? Point? Well, again, it's always better to ask how do we do this and get their advice and then follow their advice. Yeah. Than it is to then walk in the door and say, "Here's my done deal." What What do you mean? There's a problem. I mean, that's, that's not the way to go about it. Yeah, because one, you're going to piss them off. Then you're going to piss yourself off with their response to yeah. it. Then everyone's just angry. It's so that's... much easier to be to be uh, respectfully proactive than uh, disrespectfully reactive. Does um, does there have to be a, a physical delineation between uh, where you blend and process your cocktails to the brewery no, you, part you, you or can you can use not? the same uh space but you have to denote it so that okay this is where this is going to take place okay all right and this is where the product is going to be stored and this is and and uh yeah and uh, you know truthfully um we've only been shipping these things for just over a month at this stage so we're still figuring out what's the best way to follow the the revenue trail so we yeah. can report the taxes correctly. Yeah, because that's much more complicated than the spirits realm, right? It, it, it's a little more complicated in the spirits realm than it is in the in the, in the beer realm, uh, because unlike you know beer, you pay purely on the volume. With spirits, you pay not only on the volume but on the uh, uh, on the the strength. So a ten oh, percent yeah. product's got to have a different tax rate than a seven and a half percent product. And you're Spirits are taxed whether it's sold or not, right? No. So like, okay, it still thought, has to be a removal. Okay. Because I, I was thinking, like, when, when you're canning these, like, loss, you're actually, you, like, you, you have, have to pay you, tax you, on that, or is it not taxable until it's packaged? It's not taxable until it ships. Oh, okay. So, 
Now you have to, you have to, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? You, you have to um, account for the losses. Okay. So, so if we bring in, I, I don't know, 150 gallons of 190 proof spirit, and then we cut it up and we do this, that, and the other thing. And at the end of the day, uh, let's say 130 of it went out as product and 20 gallons of it was R&D or got dumped or spillage or whatever like that, we need to account for that. Um, is, uh, is there a plan for additional flavors now, or is this a let's see how this goes and then we'll... It's, it's a little bit let's see how this goes for now. I mean, you know, all the supply chain stuff you hear about is real. Um, these products were originally targeted to come out uh, before uh, Memorial Day, and we got them out the second week in August. So... Uh, so we're, we were a little late to the game. We have absolutely, because these products, in my mind, are going to be heavily seasonal. Uh, but I don't like know what much this, more skewing to I think it's spring, a big summer. spring and summer uh, sale. But, but I also don't know whether or not, like certain things, like seltzers used to fall off like a rock by the time you got into the colder weather. I don't know that these are going to do that. Yeah. I, don't, I still think there's going to be a heavy a much heavier volume time in the spring and the summer, but they may do better in the fall and the winter th- than, than we think. It could be the nightcap drink, whereas yeah. like a seltzer just seems weird, at least in my, because I'm not a seltzer drinker, but in my mind, like getting home from work and cracking open a seltzer seems weird as opposed to like sitting on a boat or sitting at the beach drinking one. Right. So, so again, we don't know where this is going to go. And yes, we'd like to introduce some, some additional flavors, but uh, I, I don't think we'll really start making a lot of decisions on that until we get probably into February, March, because we kind of want to see yeah, how, we'll, the, how the pieces are falling together. Makes sense. Um, let's take one more quick sponsor break, and then um, I, I, want, I actually want to talk a little bit more about, like, the supply chain issues. Sure. with Because uh, that's been something, like, it seems sometimes over the last two years there's been – big things made about supply chain issues and then it never materialized. So I just want to know right now, which ones are real and which ones are the doom and gloom? Most of them are real. Okay. So we will be right back. I buy my beer at District East in downtown Frederick, Maryland. They have an amazing selection of local and hard to find beers. And I love the option of making my own mix and match custom six pack. District East is on Northeast Street in Frederick in the same shopping center as Showroom Restaurant and Rockwell Brewery. Most weeks they have over 950 beers in stock. Check out this week's selection at www.districteastbeer.com. Are you planning on having custom glassware made for your business? Glassware availability for 2022 has already reached capacity, and it looks like costs will predictably rise this year. Don't worry, ACS Brand My Beverage has you covered with over 6 million units of the most popular glass styles exclusively in their inventory to meet your branded glassware needs right now. Lock in today's lower prices and take immediate delivery, or ACS will store your product for you until you're ready. Email sales at brandmybeverage.com or visit brandmybeverage.com to reserve your glassware. McClintock Distilling is Maryland's first and only certified organic distillery, handcrafting gins, whiskeys, vodkas, and cordials from non-GMO organic ingredients in downtown Frederick. Named the best vodka distillery in the country by USA Today, 
best gin in the world at the International Spirits Competition, and double gold at the World Spirits Competition for bourbon, rye, and gin. Open now for tours, tastings, and classes. Come sample the most awarded distillery in Frederick today. Okay, so the first one that I keep seeing about, but none of the smaller places I'm talking to or having issues is CO2. Yes. Um, up to this point, we have not had any significant more than like 48-hour, 72-hour delay on CO2. Um, we did just get uh, a $0.05 cents per pound surcharge. Uh, so that's about a 40% increase in the yeah, cost of say, CO2. That's not an insignificant. Yeah, that's a, that's a huge bump in CO2 cost. Um, so now I, I, I think the, the, the letter that we received indicated that that was going to be for a couple of months, and then hopefully it'll roll back. You know, CO2 is certainly a potential issue. And yeah. if you can't get it, it's... There's nothing you can do. Well, there's vir- you're virtually done because you can't... Unless you're like Anheuser-Busch or something like that, you don't own CO2 reclamation uh, equipment because you can you could theoretically capture all the CO2 you need from fermentation. But that's that's a lot of money, and, and I certainly can't afford to purchase yeah. that stuff. So we have to purchase uh, CO2 from an outside source. So at what, what level are you purchasing it? Are you purchasing directly to a supplier from a distributor or from a reseller? Um, it's... It, it all comes through a reseller. Okay. I, I, I mean, these, I mean, yes, if you're Anheuser-Busch, maybe you're buying direct from the manufacturer. Um, but, no, we, it's. Because that's one of the things I've seen speculated it's, it's is like. very control. Uh, so if, if we go to a couple of other folks and say, gee, we'd like to move our CO2 business from here to here, they basically won't talk to you. Oh, because they don't want to step on toes. And, the, the, and they also, because the, they're probably buying from the same supplier, and the supplier will say, no, 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 no. <laughs> so. So, it, it, so you haven't come close to the, oh, crap, how are we going to package this beer? Not, from, not from a CO2 perspective okay. yet. yet well, yeah. And hopefully, hopefully we won't. Yeah. Um, you know, more uh, are there certain areas of the country where it's there's a more constrained supply of yeah it? i i'm told that up in the in the in the northeast and in the midwest it's a it's a much more dire issue than it is here okay i don't have you know hard data on that, that. would make sense because some of the more doom and gloom of co2 is right. from the new england right. area of so it, so i mean that's you know i, I mean i read the same uh, trade rags that you read. So, I mean, you're probably just as well informed on this as I. What is, well, one thing I've never seen, and, and you may you may or may not know, what is the cause of it? Is it just that the CO produ- CO2 production hasn't caught up with the return and demand for it? Um, you know, I should know this um, better than I do. Uh, I just remember reading that there, I mean, a lot of the commercially um, produced CO2 is a byproduct of another yeah. manufacturing process, and, and that, that manufacturing process has has slowed down. So, uh, and I I apologize. I should know better than that, but yeah, I, I'm not going to make this up. So that's I mean that's what I had read too. Is right. that CO2 production isn't a primary right thing? It's a byproduct it's a, of, and somebody else is taking advantage of yeah. that, of that so side that, stream. That primary production ground to a halt 
Right. So you weren't getting the secondary production, right. Right. and the primary production just hasn't picked up as quickly. It's picking up now, but it's not all the yeah. way back. I Whereas mean, before, there's probably just a glut, almost a glut of CO2. Well, not if you it, listen to the people selling it. But <laughs> <laughs> Well, no, I mean like normally. Yes. Like, but now that there hasn't been that stockpile built back right. up, so you, you're stuck in the ebbs and flows of supply. That That's correct. Probably more pertinent to the... Uh, to the overall beer industry is the whole aluminum can thing. Is that still a problem, or is that? Um, yes. Um, I mean, so the so the big thing is uh, last December, I believe we we bought all of our uh, pre-printed aluminum cans from a company called Ball Corporation. Ball Corporation is, I, I believe. Uh, the largest producer of aluminum beverage cans in the world. I know they're the largest producer in this country. Um, I so, think you're correct. I believe the, in the article I read, it labeled them as that. Also. Well, I know they're the largest in yeah. this country. And so we got a letter uh, uh, up to that point in time. The minimum run we could order per SKU was about 8,500 cases. And I think we could do that on a mix and match trailer. Um, then they announced that uh, effective, it was supposed to be January 1st, but they pushed it off to March, I believe it was, uh, the minimum order per skew. So 16-ounce cans of, of uh, loose cannon would be a skew. 12-ounce cans of loose cannon would be – the minimum run was uh, uh, 45,000 cases. That's five tractor-trailer loads. Jeez. So, so not only is that a ton of money – there's yeah. a ton of space to well, store. Well, not only that, but I mean, <laughs> so for example, if I'm trying to put a seasonal beer in cans, I might do 3,000 cases of that seasonal beer. Yeah. Uh, guess what I can't do? So so the impending doom. Now, that was just printed cans. Pre-printed, yeah, right. So if, if you wanted to stick a, a label onto it, yeah, you if you wanted to take bright problem. cans, you could do that. But yeah. I, you know, I don't really want to do that. Yeah. I'm okay doing that with... A taproom release that's coming out of here, you know, where we're making a couple hundred cases. I don't want to do uh, these stick-on labels for especially because half the time when I'm at a brewery that's canning yeah. and they're having issues. Oh yeah, a lot of the time it's that stupid no, it, label it, machine. Yeah, that's... It, it, it's it it uh, so it's a problem. So so uh, so everybody had to pivot. We had uh, uh, we, we we're making this really nice lager beer. Uh, called well-made lager that was originally supposed to be in cans that had to pivot to glass bottles our impending doom series the first one came out in cans the next two came out are coming out in glass bottles now in most circumstances you know when one door closes another door opens somewhere so we've been able to pivot to be able to buy um, pre-printed cans in in more manageable quality quantities not necessarily ideal for us um so we're going to pivot the well-made lager back to cans probably in February. The impending doom series is going back to cans, uh, and and we think they'll sell better because cans are where the where the action is yeah. right now. But um, but the whole aluminum can thing has has been a problem. These uh, RTD products are in um, what are called uh, digitally printed cans, um, and. Just to give you an idea, uh, a regular quote-unquote pre-printed painted can, I think I think our cost on that is between thirteen and fourteen cents a piece. A piece, 
the uh, the digitally printed cans are like 30 31 cents each so that's a big hit yeah. in the old margin there um, so I, I just think that right now uh, we're living in very turbulent times and um, I think we're a year and a half minimum two years away from having an idea what the what the on-premise world looks like again, what the supply chain world looks like again, uh, what the interest rate, what the tax. Yeah. I mean, we just don't know there's, where. I mean, there's just a lot of balls in the air right now. That's so. what I've often said. Is I don't uh, I don't envy business owners because I don't see how you plan for anything right now. Like it's, it's just a, it's it's really hard. So uh, so I mean, the approach that I'm taking right now is. Um, I mean, you have to keep executing against your business plan, but you need to plan for the worst. Hope for the best, but you yeah. need to plan for the worst. Uh, so we're, we're looking at restructuring a few things, um, not necessarily because I, I am totally convinced I need to, but if I can do a few things a few ways, that takes a lot of pressure off. And if, if no bad crap happens... Great. Yeah. But if the bad crap happens, I want to be prepared for it. Yeah. So you either be way ahead yeah. or where you predicted you'll be. Right. Which is, I, I guess that's I mean, the best you could do at this point. Uh, is it, just, it is. I mean, you, you know, almost I have to be pessimistic. Couldn't predict <laughs> a, five per, a five cent per pound surcharge on CO2 three months ago. Last uh, October, I had no thoughts that there was going to be a, a five tractor trailer load minimum per skew on painted cans from our supplier. Yeah. I mean, you know. I, I, Three years ago, you would never predicted you wouldn't be selling a drop of beer to a bar for yes, yeah. six months. A, 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 <laughs> ex exactly. So this is, uh, you know, what's the baseball expression? Got to make sure you can hit the curveball. Um, is the, was balls change in purchase minimums based on the supply chain issues or that's just, they decided that's the... I think part of it was supply chain issues. I think part of it is, I mean, they're a big, big company. I just think they were tired of dealing with the complexity of dealing with a lot of small customers. Yeah, I mean, they would way. much rather sell, okay, Anheuser-Busch, here's your 50 bazillion cans. Yeah. Um, so, and and I, I understand that, although the interesting thing is... Um, you know, because of the explosion of cans with the seltzers, et cetera, et cetera, and then COVID, um, you know, the aluminum can industry, you know, was, was you know, doom and gloom and we don't have enough supply and blah, blah, blah. And then they're all going to start building all these facilities. And of course, it takes a long time to build all yeah. these facilities. Yeah, you don't snap uh, your fingers and create And a then the announcement is two months ago or something like that, Ball Corporation is closing three of their facilities in the United States because there's not enough demand. <laughs> so make up your mind. <laughs> well, Which, uh, but again, but, to what we were saying before, I, I don't know that they could have accurately yeah. predicted that. I mean, I, I, it's not it's not really helpful to point fingers at uh, parts of the supply chain and say, "Well, how the hell did you guys let that happen?" Uh, but you know, you just got to be you got to be in a position where you can roll with the punch. Well, yeah, because there's also going to be someone further down the chain from you doing the same thing if you start doing. That. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So it's it's you know it's it's unpredictable. 
Yeah, that makes sense for, from their standpoint that they just wouldn't want to have to manage so many SKUs, basically. It's a challenge. Sure, it's the same thing same with, with you. The you don't want to have a ton of SKUs. I, I, I mean, like I, mean, I said you earlier, want to make just if, loose if cannons. I, if so. I could make <laughs> 45,000 barrels of loose cannon a year, okay. <laughs> but the market, the market's not going to let me do that. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that 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 does make sense from their standpoint because there were there seemed to be a lot more. There's eight thousand really new breweries yeah. in the last ten years. That's a whole lot, and and most of them, if they're doing any package product, it's only cans. Yeah. So so whether they're buying uh, what they call brights, which are unprinted sleeves, which is probably what most of them are buying, yeah. or they're trying to get into pre-printed cans because it's much more cost effective. Uh, but, but anyway, you look at it, the business models have gotten extremely complicated. All the wholesalers who you know maybe used to have 30 suppliers now have 80 suppliers, and all those SKUs, that's a lot to manage. It's, it's um, the industry, unless I'm wrong, and I've been wrong before, <laughs> uh, the industry is headed for... Uh, Definitely, I think, a, a period uh, where it's going to skinny down uh, and there will be m- more focus on a smaller number of players. Um, and I just think that's inevitable. Now, whether the... Well, ne- I think it's already started. It's already I mean, started. But You wh- see way more headlines of breweries going out of business now than right. any, any other time. And then, and then I ask myself, okay, is the... And we've already begun to see some of this. Is the net result of this is that instead of trying to go to Anheuser Busch or Molson Coors wholesalers, et cetera, um, uh, is is because it, because there's so many brands and they're sm- they're so small. Does that just completely get us to the point where there's a bunch more new wholesalers uh, who are just going to focus on the smaller brands? And I, we've already begun to see some of that. the 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 challenge there is. Um, there is seasonality in the beer industry yeah. and death in the wholesaling business is, is you have trucks that are leaving your warehouse that aren't full. Um, so if you don't have an AB portfolio or a Molson Coors to portfolio, that truck so that, that the- every time that truck's leaving the door, it's full, um, then I think it's really challenging to make the economics work. Yeah. And I think... Um- I, I think that a lot of breweries made decisions over the last two years when people were drinking so much more. Mm-hmm. It seemed like that maybe weren't sustainable long term. That that's possible. That is is biting some, uh, the or made really big decisions right before COVID. Right. right. And then we're bit by that. And they, were, or, and they may have been completely and totally valid decisions yeah, yeah, given but, the criteria that you were looking at at yeah, the time. Yeah, by no fault. Like they weren't at that time, they were an extremely smart business decision. I, I, and then I, the world was turned upside I, down. I think there's there's a great deal more instances uh, in business where uh, companies have failed not because they weren't run by smart people, but because circumstances changed that were unforeseeable. Yeah. So, I mean, look, anybody who's in the restaurant business in uh, in January of 2020 who's not in the restaurant business now, 
that's not necessarily on them. Yeah, probably at least 80% of those people, it's not a direct fault of their own. Right. The, I mean, there's definitely... Right. I mean, there's it's, not someone, like, it's not like they were bad operators. Yeah. There's some in Frederick that closed, definitely, because they were bad operators. But And there will always but, be that. Yeah, but, um, but there were definitely some that went under because they were just a victim of not look, being able to sell. The, the you know, it... it it's all it's all a big chain. It's all a big pyramid, you know. So so all of a sudden your business falls off by fifty percent. So you go talk to your landlord. He can't cut your rent fifty percent. Yeah, he's got to pay for. He's them. got a bank loan, and yeah. the bank's not going to cut his payments fifty percent. So at some point, you know, it it just meets a point of uh, of there's no more squishiness there. Um, so it's it's. Like I said, we're living in very uncertain times. Yeah. You know? like, well, there's night night shift up in New England. Uh-huh. Shut down their production facility, citing uh, CO2. Mm-hmm. Like, so that I feel like there's probably more to the story with that one. But don't know. So it, it, it could simply be if if that is a hot spot area of right. just constant. And not you know, and how long how how long are they going to be shut down for? <clears throat> um, so I, yeah, I, I, again, so it's it's. it's um, Strange, uncertain times. Still, it. right. So, so the uh, the expression is, or the 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 Chinese curse. Don't read anything more into that. But that the Chinese curse is, may you live in interesting times. We're living in interesting <laughs> times. Yeah. It didn't take me long once I started this company to understand why that's a curse. Yeah. And every now and then I look up and say, Hey, a little boredom here. I'm okay yeah. with that. So. Uh, it's every time my uh, youngest daughter complains that she's bored, it's like I would kill to be bored. <laughs> that would be like that, that would be amazing to be bored. <laughs> yeah, I haven't been bored in a long time. Yeah, like, I, 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 I yearn for boredom. <laughs> Understood. Um. So, one one thing I, I wanted to know about is how hard is it to get your beer into a professional sports stadium because you're in all of the Baltimore ones, right? Yep. Is it, so is that a function of like, do you have to do that yourself or is your distributor making that happen? Um, in, in our case, uh, these days it's mostly the wholesaler. We are certainly working with them to do it. Okay. Uh, but they've done a really good job. Um, so it's, uh, it's it's you know it's certainly a challenge, but our our wholesaler partners uh, have been extremely strong in this. Better than it, better than it used to be. Those are huge commitments too, though, right? Like the uh, being a, like you have a volume point that you have to be able to hit to be. It, it's so so. Let's let's take the Orioles as an example. Um. Organizationally, they've had a tough couple of years. So, the 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 predictable volume that was going to happen at Camden Yards okay, yeah, that so that went off. The, you know, there was no. There's it's not like it was like five no, years ago. No. Where you now, were. to their credit, it's getting better. I fully anticipate that. Um, you know, Camden Yards is is going to have a, a a decent year this year. They'll have a better year next year, and and that should work out pretty well. Um, but yeah, the the uh, the, the major arenas uh, and the, and the professional sports venues 
that that's always going to be challenging. They've got economics that they need to make work too. I mean, you know, every yeah. time you open the newspaper and see that, you know, XYZ player is getting a $250 million contract. Well, that's got to come yeah, from somewhere. Comes, yeah. <laughs> um, so it, it's, you know, we all, we all have challenges. Uh, you have to respect each other's challenges. You know, there are times when you look up and it's just, this isn't going to make economic sense. And then you just got to be willing to say, okay. It, your what? wholesaler definitely has done a great job because now as I sit and think, I think almost every venue I've been to in the last few years, I had a loose cannon. Um, I will admit it was extremely painful to pay $13 for a I, loose cannon when I, I saw Burt Kreischer, <laughs> but I, I, <laughs> at least it was there as an option. Well, the and, and obviously you have no control whatsoever at no. that price. But. The other thing that you got to realize is, is, and I, my numbers may be off, uh, but they're not way off, is that for the most part, the 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 sports franchise takes 50% off the top. Oh, wow. So when you're spending $13 for a 16-ounce can of uh, 16-ounce can of, of loose cannon, for example, the vendor's only getting half of that. And they're paying the – I assume they're paying to be there. So they – No, have, I, I, again, I don't know all the details of, of these things. Yeah. But, but, I mean, you know, they, they clearly have a contract with the, with the arena to provide the food services. Yeah. So. It's cr- – Jim Bachman and uh-huh. I went to see Clerks 3 a okay. couple weekends ago, and we ordered two beers. Like, of course, you expect it to be right. expensive. It was a theater, the Warner Theater in D.C. Right. It was $34 for two beers. And they didn't even kiss you first. <laughs> no, not even. Yeah, we didn't even get a hug. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, I feel like I, we've covered a lot. Uh, do, you ha- do you have some time that? answer some stupid questions sure. or at least intentionally stupid ones happy to i i feel good answering this for the first time that you will be someone that gives the correct answer okay who would win in a battle between a ninja and a pirate ah it's a pirate there yes that that is the correct answer and thank you for being one of the few that answer it correctly <laughs> <laughs> the only other person well, there's been a few, but the other one was someone in North Carolina, and it was because he had Blackbeard. Outer Banks. Yeah. Right. They, they, they're in Raleigh, but I think they're just close enough to understand that a pirate would. Right. Totally. <laughs> what would the title of your biography be? Uh, failure was not an option. Who would play you in a movie about your life? Oh, God. Uh, Alec Baldwin? That's a... Well, I don't think he's allowed to make movies again. So that you may, might, that may that be. Might, that might which is get why in the way. this movie will never get made. <laughs> that might get in the way of him doing that. Right. But, uh, what's the scariest movie you've ever watched? Oh, gosh. Um, uh, it's not necessarily a movie. I don't do well with heights. So when oh, you yeah. when you see people hanging off the edge of a building... I, that just gives me the willies. So I either close my eyes or turn my eyes. So anytime I see that, that's what gets yeah. me. Have you ever watched any of the videos like someone inspecting like a tall tower yeah. or the yeah. like I, I, I have I like I feel like I'm falling watching when, when I when I see the <laughs> photographs of the of the guys building the skyscrapers yeah. in New York. Walking on a beam walking on with these beams, no safety yeah, harness it's on like, her. 
<laughs> I can't even really look at yeah. it. The only thing that goes through my head is, oh, hell no. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Ain't happening. Uh, what's the worst concert you've ever attended? Oh, God. Worst concert I've ever attended. Um, oh, well, you know, it was so forgettable that I forgot. <laughs> uh, is Nickelback actually a good band? I have no idea. I assumed, and that's the right answer, because Nickelback is not. Okay. Um, <laughs> how do you feel about garden gnomes? Um, eh, not much. Does pineapple belong on a pizza? No. That's the correct answer also. A lot of people get that one wrong. Right. What's the best color of Starburst? Uh, cherry. It's an acceptable one. Pink is the correct answer, though. Okay. If you were having a plumbing issue, who would you hire, Mario or Luigi? Probably Luigi. That is the correct answer. I think the fame would have gone to Mario's head a little too much. He wouldn't do. <laughs> he wouldn't be as invested. Right. What is the best Robin Williams movie? Um, Aladdin. Frankly, and that is a great movie. It's incorrect. A one-hour photo is the best. Well, I was going to say, if it wasn't that, what was the one where he plays the wrestling coach? Uh, it, was a, it was. I don't know that. It's one. a drama. Uh, gosh, what's the name of it? It's, it's a. It's a brilliant movie. I'll have to look that up. I, I know. I. I could probably do this show for the next ten years, and I'll never get someone to answer that question as one-hour photo. Right. <laughs> but I love that movie. Okay. What is the best gift you have ever received? Oh. Gosh, I, I don't, I don't really know. Um, there have been a, so many memorable ones. Um, so I, I, I don't. I mean, I'm old now, so there's a long timeline <laughs> here. I usually just go with like with the the last one I received. Right. Was, right. Oh yeah, that was by far the best. Right. Uh, what's your most prized possession? Oh, probably. I mean, probably the house that we live in. Have you been there a long time? We've had the house for, for about eight years. Where did, oh, where I mean, we're on the water place? in Bethany. Yeah, that's that's a long commute. Well, I have an apartment in the city. Oh, okay. So, so, uh, so I maintain uh, residence in both Maryland, and uh, I'm actually a Maryland resident. My wife is a Delaware resident. I lost my place. Uh, if you were a wrestler, what would your walkout music be? Uh, wrestler, so you're talking about a professional wrestler? Yeah. Oh, okay. like what? What music would be played as you're walking out to the ring? Oh God, <laughs> something dramatic. Um, probably the second. I think it's the second movement of Beethoven's Seventh. <laughs> so that would that would I think everyone would stop and think that's an interesting choice. <laughs> it goes Is it acceptable to use a gift card on a first date? Uh sure, why not? I don't know some people have really strong opinions about that. At right, one more, what's better, pizza or tacos? Pizza. That's and actually there's no wrong answer to that one. All right, Hugh, thank you so much. Chris, Always a pleasure chatting with you. Thank you very it's, much for the opportunity. It's uh, great hearing the history of just, I mean, Maryland beer in general. 
Um, and thank you, everyone, for listening. Cheers. Cheers. The Uncapped Podcast is produced by Graham Cullen and me, Chris Sands. Be sure to like us on Facebook. And if you've enjoyed these podcasts, please leave us a review on Google Play or the iTunes Store. A special thanks to Double Motorcycle for providing our theme music. Thanks for listening. Oh my God, that's good.